The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The scripture verse, Acts 1-8, is a mandate for believers and certainly it's the working model for our ministry from month to month. In that verse, Jesus gave his great commission for the fifth and last time. His departing words to his disciples were, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So join me now as we go through a week in the life of our ministry, starting in Jerusalem and Bethlehem at the beginning of the new year, and going forth to the nations as directed by the Lord of the Harvest. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Jesus gave us a mandate in Acts 1-8 to preach the gospel first in Jerusalem and then fanning out to the nations of the world. It's our joy and privilege to do that from month to month. And in this edition of Exploits, we want to share a typical week of our ministry, beginning with a prayer convocation in Israel and then going on to the rest of the world. And in this case, our national outreaches took place in the Republic of Bulgaria in Southeast Europe. First of all, let's share the beginning of the week in the Holy Land. One of the joys of having a ministry headquartered in Jerusalem is the ability to organize prayer convocations attended by intercessors from around the world. And the first of the year is always our annual Watchmen and Women on the Walls New Year Prayer Convocation. Because our New Year Conference also coincides with the Orthodox Christmas, we usually hold a worship service in Bethlehem's Manger Square. This year, despite some regretful growing hostility displayed by the local Muslim residents toward both Christians and Jews, we were able nevertheless to distribute several hundred gospel DVDs and hold a worship service in the very heart of Bethlehem, the historic Manger Square. Our team is always blessed to share the gospel in the birthplace of our Lord. And at Christmas, there's a great mixture of people. Muslims frequently visit the Church of the Nativity, as well as tourists from the nations. And there's lots of local color, including the decorations and the many olive wood shops. Many tourists have no idea until they come here how close Bethlehem really is to Jerusalem. We always love going to Bethlehem not only as tourists, but also to hold prayer convocations to believe God for the building up of the Isaiah 19 Highway of Peace in the region and to pray for reconciliation between Palestinians and Jews. It's also an encouragement to the remaining Christians in the town to see us ministering the love of Jesus in his very birthplace. In contrast, the terrorist organizations Fatah and Hamas demanded that their people prepare for increased violence, including suicide bombings against Israelis in the new year. 
At the same time, Hamas banned the people in Gaza from even celebrating New Year's Eve, saying such parties are in violation of Islamic teachings. One of the most popular activities of our annual New Year convocation is our prayer walk on the ramparts of Jerusalem's sacred old city, where we pray specific prayers for the peace of Jerusalem and enjoy being literal watchmen upon the walls. We also hold anointing services, sometimes atop Jaffa Gate, for our delegates to be anointed with fresh oil to carry out exploits for the Lord. You see, the Bible commands us to walk about Zion and to proclaim to Jerusalem that our God reigns. Next on the agenda in one week in the life of exploits ministry was our January prayer convocation in Jerusalem where we enjoy increased fellowship between Orthodox Jews and Christians. Epic is the only way to describe our prayer convocations, which are Holy Spirit directed. I spoke on the mystery of the church and Orthodox Jew Gidon Ariel shared about his efforts to bring better understanding between Jews and Christians. Former Israel Defense Forces Army spokesman Avi Lipkin brought us his Mideast update and news of the first Jewish Christian political party that Avi is forming in Israel. Stephen Jaffe from the UK's Shalom Declaration also brought greetings while he was in Israel to visit his brave soldier son and to build bridges in Jerusalem. And Bob O'Dell of the Jewish Christian Partnership Root Source also shared revelations concerning the Jubilee year. Also speaking to us was David Nekrutman, Executive Director of the Jewish Study Center that's responsible for the recent breakthrough reconciliation statement signed by 60 rabbis acknowledging the legitimacy of Christianity's mission to the nations and commending Jesus for upholding the Torah. During our time of prayer and intercession, one main concern was for the nearly one million Christians who've been slaughtered or displaced in the Middle East. We aren't silent. We cry out to God in prayer. Persecuted Christians urgently need our voice. I'm sharing in this program one week in the life of our ministry, and we came up to Jerusalem to worship the King and to pray over the new year for Christians and Jews. Meanwhile, during our New Year Convocation, we learned a whole new dimension about the biblical gesture of hands raised to the Lord. A Jewish activist who ascended the Temple Mount had palms upraised, but he was arrested just for his silent gesture. Well, Psalm 24 and verse 3 asks, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? And the answer is, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Although Israel has claimed sovereignty over the Temple Mount since capturing it from Jordan in 1967, the Jewish state allows the holy site to be jointly patrolled with a Jordanian contingent who were custodians of the Muslim sites there. 
Under the present agreement, non-Muslims may visit the Temple Mount, but non-Muslims are required to abide by a status quo, which unbelievably forbids any form of prayer or worship by Jews and Christians. Well, many practicing Jews are very unhappy about this discrimination. So recently, a Jewish activist named Yehuda Etzion ascended the Temple Mount to pray silently according to the status quo, but he also dared to raise his hands upward. Can you imagine this simple action of lifting his hands got him arrested? And he only lifted his hands halfway. He didn't lift them to the sky. Etzion raised his hands slightly, just a simple gesture, but it was an action which resulted in his immediate arrest. Police said his hands constituted a motion of prayer strictly forbidden, and he was banned from ascending the mount for two weeks. However, Yehuda Etzion appealed, and the Jerusalem District Court accepted his appeal. The court overturned the police ban. The court ruled that it's permissible to raise one's hands on the Temple Mount for heaven's sakes. In making the ruling, the judge stated that action taken against worshipers is a, quote, slippery slope. The judge cited Isaiah 1-2, which says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. The judge said we can't accuse anyone of worshiping who merely lifts his eyes toward the sky. And the judge also speculated how ludicrous it would be if women, for example, wearing head coverings should be banned simply because head coverings point to a holy, reverential fear of heaven. Well, commenting on this ruling in our prayer convocation, I quoted a passage written by the Apostle Paul, who, as a Pharisee, understood the power of the Hebraic gesture of hands lifted to heaven. He wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, I want all men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Did you know that many Christian congregations and denominations discourage and even forbid the lifting up of holy hands during worship? But I'm telling you, after this ruling concerning prayer on the Temple Mount and knowing how biblical it is to hold up holy hands, I don't want ever to hear again that this action is disputed in any of the churches. Let's pray for revelation in the churches worldwide that this ancient gesture of praise is biblical and it actually pleases God, as the Apostle Paul himself directed. In fact, early Christians turned up their palms towards heaven as people craving help do. And King Solomon in the Bible stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. And let's also take on board Psalm 141 and verse 2, which says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. This news item about lifting up holy hands on the Temple Mount hasn't received much coverage in the world press, yet I believe the Lord is speaking to us through these things. 
One of the most used words for honoring God in the Hebrew Bible comes from the Hebrew root yada. It's important to know that at the heart of this word yada is the word yad, which means hand. It's used over 100 times in the Bible to give thanks, to confess, and to praise. And the modern Hebrew word for thanks, todah, is a form of this word. So from ancient times, offering of thanks and praise to God among the Hebrews was accompanied with raising of the hands towards heaven. It's interesting to note that the name of the man who raised his hands on the Temple Mount is Yehuda, which in English is Judah. And Judah is a name derived from this same word for thanks. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 29:35, the matriarch Leah became pregnant again and bore a son to Jacob. And she said, this time I will give thanks to the Lord. And therefore she named him Judah, Yehuda, meaning giving thanks. Furthermore, the most repeated praise song in the Bible uses the same word, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. So by raising our hands to heaven, we're not only giving thanks, but we're confirming that the Lord is good and his loving kindness endures forever. Amen. Just as we prayed on our walk around the ramparts with holy hands lifted upward, I pray for you and for all believers everywhere that we'll learn to lift up holy hands to God Most High, to welcome His works in our lives, to release thanksgiving for all of His many blessings in our lives, and to confess His goodness and loving kindness into the heavenlies. One topic that I shared with the convocation concerns the specific time that we're living in. We're living in a unique period of grace, the finishing up of the times of the Gentiles the completion of the church age and the beginning of the times of restoration of all things during which the messianic kingdom will be restored to the nation of Israel. Just before Jesus departed and ascended to heaven, his disciples came to him and asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? However, Jesus indicated that the kingdom restored to Israel would be postponed and that the mystery of the church age would instead begin. Paul described this parenthetical mystery of the church inserted between Jesus' first and second comings in Colossians chapter 1. And in verses 26 and 27, Paul wrote, Even the mystery which was hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Messiah in you, the hope of glory. So instead of giving the Davidic keys to Israel because Israel rejected his first visitation, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 19, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
You see, the Bible uses the symbol of keys as a picture of authority. For example, in Isaiah 22, 22, we see Elakim, the priest, receiving the key of the house of David on his shoulder. This is because a trusted servant to the king wore the key to the king's house on his garment upon his shoulder. The key gave him the authority to open or close the king's house. And Revelation 3.7 uses similar symbolism, speaking plainly of Jesus possessing the key of David. Well, the church has been keepers of the keys for centuries, but God still has a covenant with Israel and is still determined to restore Israel and give the keys of the kingdom back to the original owners. The church is a mystery sandwiched in between. The Messianic kingdom was postponed, resulting in the insertion of the mystery church age before the kingdom is again offered to the nation of Israel. So now in our lifetime, God is getting ready to return the keys of the kingdom back to the Jews. That was the word of the Lord that I emphasized during our 2016 prayer convocation. Just after our Jerusalem New Year convocation, we next led a team to the nation of Bulgaria. I believe one reason why God is visiting Bulgaria with revival and an open heaven today is because God remembers that Bulgaria saved its Jewish community during World War II. In fact, Bulgaria saved their entire Jewish population of 50,000 from the Nazi Holocaust. And what's really remarkable is that in the Second World War, Bulgaria was on the side of Germany. Well, I was familiar with the story of Denmark and how that Scandinavian country had managed to rescue up to 8,000 Jews from the Nazi killing machine. However, few people know of Bulgaria's exploits to save their Jewish people, a much larger number of 50,000. For decades, all records of the heroic rescue of the Bulgarian Jews were sealed off by the communists in an attempt to prevent glorification of Bulgaria's heroic King Boris III. The communists also wanted to cover up the bravery of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church, which also worked hard and took many dangerous risks to protect the Jewish population. The church, members of parliament, the king and the chief rabbi, all that great personal risk defied the Germans. The Bulgarian press was also heroic in defying the evil. A small nation struggled against the cruel Nazi machine and managed to save its Jews from death. Bulgaria achieved a remarkable exploit that no other nation in Europe achieved except for Denmark. The rescue of the Bulgarian Jews from Hitler's death camps is a wreath of glory for the Bulgarians. But there's a side to the story that's not often told. It wasn't just the Gentile Bulgarians who saved the Jewish people. Their chief rabbi, who was a Messianic believer, was also instrumental in saving the Bulgarian Jews. He believed in Jesus by direct revelation. In fact, the testimony of Rabbi Daniel Zion is one of the most remarkable accounts recorded in Jewish history 
since the Damascus Road experience of Saul of Tarsus, who later became known, of course, as the Apostle Paul. According to Rabbi Daniel Zion, one morning while he was praying, he was looking at the sunrise when Jesus appeared to him in an open vision. When the same vision occurred a third time, Rabbi Daniel turned toward the figure and spoke to him. The figure was scintillating from the sun and identified himself as Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew. At a website about Rabbi Zion, I found a statement that it's no small thing for a rabbi to receive a vision of the Messiah. And the bizarre nature of this vision forced the rabbi to investigate and try to understand what God was saying to him. So Rabbi Daniel Zion visited the Orthodox Christian Patriarch Stephen in Sofia, Bulgaria's capital, and forged a close friendship. They had a frank discussion concerning Jesus and the early church. And the Patriarch wisely understood the delicate relationship between Jews and Christians. So Stephen encouraged the rabbi to forget about coming over to the pomp and show of Christianity, but instead to concentrate just on Jesus himself. Thus, Rabbi Daniel Zion never officially converted to Christianity. However, he began to follow Jesus while remaining faithful to Jewish life and to Torah observance. How prophetic was that? Each Sabbath afternoon, Rabbi Zion began studying the New Testament with a select small group of Bulgarian Jews in his home, and they were among the leading members of the Jewish community in Sofia. Rabbi Zion's faith in Yeshua became a well-known secret. However, his position in the Bulgarian Jewish community and his personal services were so highly esteemed that no one openly criticized him for believing in Jesus. And because he remained within the framework of Orthodox Judaism, he wasn't considered a heretic. But as chief rabbi and spiritual leader of Bulgaria's Jewish community, he became an object of persecution and ridicule by the fascists. As a result of his strong friendship with the head of the Bulgarian church, Patriarch Stephen remained a strong advocate of the Jewish community. Rabbi Daniel Zion had gathered all of the Jews in the central synagogue of Sophia, which is the second largest synagogue in Europe. Every Jew in the city came to the synagogue to pray against the evil decision of deportation of the Jews. Bravely, for those dangerous times, Rabbi Zion led a demonstration against the Jews' deportation in the streets of Sophia. And this occurred at the same time as the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Rabbi Zion was publicly flogged in front of Sophia's great synagogue and sent to an interment camp within Bulgaria. But thankfully, he survived and eventually made his way to Israel. Here's an amazing thing. When the intense discussions arose concerning deportation of Bulgaria's Jews, Rabbi Zion wrote a letter to the Bulgarian king. He told the king that he had seen Jesus in a vision, and the Lord had instructed him to warn the king not to deliver the Jewish people into the hands of the Nazis. 
while the fear of God fell on the king when he read the letter. And the next day, the king was scheduled to go to Germany for a meeting with Hitler. Because of Rabbi Zion's bold testimony and warning from Jesus himself, King Boris stood his ground and didn't submit to Nazi pressure to deliver the Bulgarian Jews to the death camps. And today there's a public square in Jerusalem that commemorates the salvation of the entire Bulgarian Jewish community. Hallelujah. Well, our visit to Bulgaria was also an opportunity to hold an outreach in a Roma gypsy village. We ministered to 100 women on a cold but joyous afternoon and we took them bottles of anointing oil from Jerusalem. There was a strong prophetic anointing in the meeting. If you're not sure you're ready, we're going to make sure today. You say, Christine, how do you know that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime? Additionally, we strengthened the Capitals Assembly of God Church and we staged a nationwide Bible Women's Congress called Loved by the King, inspired by Bible teaching from the Book of Esther. We partnered with Sophia's evangelical organization, Mission Possible, to hold a Congress in the very heart of Sophia. The venue was located near one of the city's most prominent monuments. The controversial black and gold statue replaced a statue of Lenin in the public square after the fall of communism. The statue is not a model for believers because the modern Sophia statue depicts worldly wisdom embodied by an owl. Worldly power is represented by a golden crown and fame epitomized by a laurel wreath. We taught that rather our biblical model is godly power and godly wisdom embodied by Jesus himself and other examples, such as the early church martyr Saint Sophia, after whom the city is named, and whose daughters, Faith, Hope, and Charity, were also martyrs. Before giving an altar call in the Women's Congress, I taught two sessions emphasizing that we women in the last days must absolutely belong to God and understand the times prophetically. Many of the 400 women who attended came forward to dedicate and rededicate their lives to the Lord. I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I reject all occulting power. The Women's Congress lifted the delegates to a higher level of faith in God to reach our generation. We believe the conference was a new beginning for women in Bulgaria. So beginning in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and ending up in a Bulgarian Roma community and a ballroom of the Bulgarian capital, that's one week in the life of exploits ministry by the grace of God. But we need your prayers to fulfill the mandate of Daniel 11.32, which says, those who know God will be strong and do exploits. If that's you, we'd like you to stay in touch with us via the social media. And we also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv 
where you can click online to receive our free color magazine electronically or by mail, and where you can read the latest prophecy and prayer alerts from Israel. Until next time, contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. Recently, we received the good news that our Jerusalem channel has reached almost four and a half million views. Our online streaming video was watched in places as diverse as Russia, India, Nigeria, Indonesia, and Saudi Arabia. What a privilege to share the gospel around the world and make it available free of charge. But although we have hundreds and thousands learning Bible truths 24-7, there's only a tiny handful of viewers who are willing to actually stand with our ministry to help support this outreach. Every minute of video streaming costs money. So if you find our programs a blessing to your spiritual growth, please consider being a part of this outreach, first in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the United States, we're a tax-deductible charity, and you can call us toll-free at 1-888-245-2692. In the UK, we're also a registered charity, and you can call us at 300 561 5 At our website, you can make a donation by credit or debit card anytime. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel.